Is this mode better? I, I don't know. I don't even know how to change the settings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you would achieve something there. No. <laughs> no, I don't know what I'm going to do. Take a Fourier transform, drop out all the noise. Yeah, you could do that. Drop out the low frequencies, whatever frequency that hum is from my student apartment fridge. Oh, you know, that's how it happens. Anyway, should we start? Yes, let's do this. I'm nervous. Okay. I am too. No one's <laughs> going to listen to us. Oh yeah, that's right. It's just a conversation. So, the first thing I see on the notes is a zero. Yeah, but let's definitely talk about what we're actually doing. Oh, sorry. No, it's fine. So I thought we should start with what we start with, which is zero. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, go ahead. Tell no, me. so you got a good point. I mean, we'll get into it. We'll probably get into more detail some other time. Maybe even just later. But the frustration of people counting certain things, certain things beginning with one instead of zero, it's just, it's just frustrating. Yeah. For example, like your fingers, it's totally logical to begin with your fingers at one. Yeah. That's fine. When you're doing natural things, you should definitely count with the natural numbers. Right. But if you're doing comprehensive things, you should count with the whole numbers. Or at least the whole numbers. Yeah. It just makes more sense. So anyone who's listening, welcome to episode zero. <laughs> of We don't know what we're called yet. Right. We don't have a name. We have not a name of the podcast. What would we call ourselves? So anyone who is, it, this isn't obvious to, um, we listen to Hello Internet which is a podcast done by CGP Grey and Brady Heron. They Popular do a fantastic genre, job. two dudes talking. Yeah, I think they created the genre. Yes, that's, uh, that's safe to say. They definitely mastered it. Yes. For some reason, they talk about nothing, and most of the time it's still interesting. Yeah, it's just fascinating. They have at least 100,000 people across the entire world who listen to them. So... We're not like that. No. For starters, we begin at zero. Like, that's different. Yes, that's true. So, we just got interested, thought it might be fun to try it out, see if it's interesting to do two dudes talking, if it's fun for us, if anyone would care to listen to it. I think one of the interesting things is that we do this all the time anyway. Cold and I, we just talk. But we it's thought true. we'd record it and see what it sounded like and see if it was actually interesting enough to listen to, to be... I don't know. A good audio file. I'm finding it hard to get in the mindset of just, like, I'm just talking. Like, I keep... I know what they mean by you feel like everyone's listening, like, right now. <laughs> it is actually kind of weird. Okay, well, I'm just going to move on from that so I can forget about it. So, what should we call ourselves? Do we have a name? Could we um, have a name? Anything I come, with, come up with on the spot is going to be... Just complete rubbish. Well, let's get on with a few more introduction, introductory <laughs> things then. Okay. Um, I'm Garrett Brown. Yes. I'm this, from Canada. This is my esteemed Canadian friend, Garrett Brown. He's a redhead. I am Ginger. Um, none of you can see that, but it's important to know. And I'm Colton Barfus. I'm not a redhead. I'm American. His Spanish is very good, though. It's true. Um, I've been speaking Spanish for years now, so it's not obviously like someone who was born speaking Spanish, but I feel pretty comfortable. You may hear that influence the way I say things. 
for example, the last three days have probably been 60 or 70% Spanish. So that might make it a little hard. If we stay on the topic of physics, I'll do better because we talk about that in English a lot. Yeah, we do. So we study physics. Yes. This is something that will always crop up into anything that we're talking about. Basically, it's the driving force of every conversation because, first of all, physics is fascinating. At least we think it is. I met, I've met people. I've been a TA, teacher's assistant, and there are some pre-med students that just don't like physics. My wife doesn't love physics. She can appreciate that it's something worthwhile, but you know, she just doesn't love it. And that's okay. Like, there are plenty of people that love other things that I appreciate that they love because then they do things that I need them to do for us to have a civilized society. Yeah, if everybody studied physics, then there would be no garbage men. Yeah. And no restaurants either. Yeah. Which is something physicists rely heavily upon when it's the early hours of the morning or late at night and you haven't eaten for a while and you just need something quick but you don't have time to go and cook it. It is very convenient. I'm glad that there are people that work food. Yeah. So thank you. Yes, thank you to anyone who ever worked in the food industry. Yes, thank you to all of you. Because I never have. <laughs> That's our first thank you that goes out from this podcast. <laughs> to the no one who listens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I suppose I should say thank you to my wife more than even the restaurant people because my wife is very good about making things when I'm hungry. She always offers. She's very good about it. I'm thankful for that. I'm not married. That's right. Garrett's not married. I'm married. Part of the reason my Spanish is so good is that my wife is from Ecuador. That's a... Uh, sorry. Ecuador. I'll say that for you. You don't have to brutalize it. Sorry. I just, I just can't. She's from Ecuador. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> I just can't... I just can't do it anymore, that word. Another word I can't do anymore which I may have talked about with you before, but for the listeners that don't exist, Volvo. Oh, Volvo, yeah. Yeah, the car company. Yeah. Can't do that one because it it's, sounds a lot like a Spanish word, and I just can't do, like, that little LV there. Never comes out like an American anymore. That's fine. So, yes, we study physics. A lot of our conversations, even if they're not directly inspired by physics, we're usually in the middle of doing physics homework, when they start, so it's all in the cradle of physics. Yeah, like you can't, not everything stems from physics, but there's a lot of things that we think about when we are studying physics because we try and model different systems or because we talk about different concepts. It just comes up, it helps pass the time as well. Sometimes if physics is tedious and you just need to talk about something else while you're just doing tedious things. Yeah. Sometimes we, like, make a mistake in our, uh, in our, I don't know, writing down the equation or our assumptions. Something silly, you know, we've done a million times before and we just happen to, like, not think through it because we assume that it's the exact same kind of problem we've done before. And it leads to, like, some really funny physics and then that will start a conversation sometimes. Like, do you remember when we assumed that uh, there was a ball rolling down an incline but, like the thing that causes it to roll, which is gravity, just wasn't there. <laughs> yes. I've also, we've also, or at least I have a couple times, messed up in a calculation. And um, when I ran the computer simulation, the uh, 
it was baseball I was modeling, and I, <laughs> I, it wasn't working, and I couldn't figure out why. It was because gravity was repulsive, <laughs> and the ball just kept going faster and faster in the wrong direction. I couldn't figure out what was going on for a little bit. <laughs> it was one of those little minus sign errors. Uh, yeah, so, as well, I think, I think Colton is better in physics than I am, but if it's going to be a minus sign error... It's usually Colton. It's anyway. usually me. And I would disagree that I'm better at physics than Garrett is, but I it's funny because in almost everything else, we agree that I'm more meticulous to a fault usually. But I'm more meticulous. Like I take the steps and like don't try to skip steps all the time. I mean I will skip steps, any physicist does, but Garrett skips more. Yeah. But for some reason I just those sign errors, I try to skip too many steps with them and then I flipped the switch one too many times or one too few times and I end up with a plus in where I had it or I needed a minus. Yeah. So, so yeah, these... oh, I, th- I think was that? I was thinking there was one more thing that I wanted to say about us studying physics. Oh, yeah, there was. So we study physics, but you need to understand we are closer to the mathematician side of physics than we are to the engineering side of physics. Uh, it is probably something else you'll hear come up. But it frustrates us to no end to talk with people that, or to do physics that is bad math. Yes. We both appreciate, we, we both love math. Personally, I think if an engineer says they love math, they're lying. Engineers <laughs> use math. I think they love arithmetic. Oh, like okay. intense arithmetic, but arithmetic nonetheless. Um, but they do have problems if the mathematics has no application. True, like the ab- the abstract. For some reason, they can't just grab onto it if it's abstract, and then it just frustrates them. But if a bias, Not if there is an engineer listening to this, which would be quite rare, but if an engineer listens to this, let us know if you actually love math, or if you just enjoy using it. I think a better question might be if you appreciate mathematical rigor, like in proofs or in just in any kind of exercise like that in a derivation. If you can appreciate that, that's what we want to know. Because there's some people who just drives nuts, and I understand that. That's totally fine. But we both appreciate. The question you need to ask yourself is, do you get pure joy from just doing mathematics? (laughs) (laughs) That's the question, yes. (laughs) If you do not get pure joy, then maybe you're an engineer. (laughs) Um... Anyway. Something else I think may be important to mention that I thought of, as you said that, is that our views on the world are going to be different than most physicists for this reason. We are both students at Brigham Young University, and not because we are students there, but we are, but because of our religion we chose to go to this university. We're both members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Which means we're Mormon. Yeah, that's what most of the world knows us by, Mormon. That's not the name of the church, though. It is not. The name of the church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So, we're one of those scientists that can easily, because of our beliefs, hold science and religion in our heads at the same time. Um, You'll see that influence our views a lot, because, I guess, one way to, I'm not sure how to say this correctly, we feel that science may not be the end-all, be-all of all things. Like, it explains all things. I think if we were to understand it perfectly, it would. But not because... Like, science... 
doesn't just exist like it was the laws were set or designed or designed so yes that's we come from a creationist perspective I think that might be important to mention but it is interesting because I do I do believe that the Big Bang Theory is quite a logical process for the creation of the universe Right. That's, that's That might be a different topic for a different time. No, but. I agree. It's like, this could be something we discussed, that how the theories we see, we can see how they fit within our beliefs. So, this it, doesn't mean we are, like, ridiculously against scientifically tested and accepted theories that are the best way that we've come up with to explain the evidence. So yeah. We do believe in the scientific method. Yes, definitely. The scientific method is super useful. In fact, it's changed the world and made it way much a much better place. Um, I want to talk about Interstellar. Yeah, so we both watched Interstellar, and we've been waiting for months to talk about it. <laughs> I haven't talked about it with you yet. I'm so excited. So tell me. Tell me about it. Oh, by the way, Interstellar is a fantastic film. It is a fantastic film. I must agree. Um, you're going to have me saying film now because... Oh, yeah. Word. So his vocabulary is slightly influenced by his proficiency in Spanish. And my vocabulary is heavily influenced by the countries I've lived in, which has been Canada, United States of America, and the United Kingdom. So sometimes I choose the words that I like best, even if it's not Canadian or if it's not British or... I'll just choose the best word. So, it's a movie. Well, it's a film. See what happens with that. This is a giant tangent again. <laughs> but what happens with that is if I'm struggling for the English word, which happens to me kind of embarrassingly often, I will probably just pick the word that I just heard Garrett say. <laughs> which is more likely not an American word. Right. So, that, that might happen. But if I use those words, I'm not pretending I'm just trying to think on my feet. Um, so tell me, what did you think of Interstellar? It is a good movie. Film. Whatever. That thing. Um, my So my mom and her husband saw it, and they said, you know, they liked it, and they, they always asked me, like, well, not always, but they sometimes will ask me, like, physics questions about stuff they see. And the... Uh, the thing they said is that apparently its physics was better than most movies. And I would agree with that, but I think that set my expectations like a little bit too high. Oh, that's interesting. And I became disappointed with... I mean, the general principles that they go with are true, but they still... I know what you mean. There were, there were many physics, physical elements that very closely followed our, our models of physics, or models of the universe we use in physics, but there were a couple dramatized points that made the physics no longer that solid, but did create a better picture. Yes, um, like I feel like they took advantage of the Hollywood exaggeration. Like it was the same thing as an explosion, right? Like uh, yeah. Hollywood says, oh, well when you put these two, two things together, or in these circumstances, this explodes. 
So this explosion is going to do this unlikely thing, but we need it to be really big for that. And so this will move the plot forward. This will make it interesting. This will make for a cool scene. Hollywood did the same thing. They did the same thing with the general relativity in the film. Mm-hmm. They, I don't know. I don't know how much you can account for like how much time is supposed to have passed in a movie as you're watching it. Because they cut and things. It's a good point, yeah. But they went to... What was this planet? The planet with the... The water. The Yeah, the planet with the water and the shearing waves. The big mountain waves. Yes. So, in the film, before they go, they say that every hour on this planet is seven years in the frame of reference of the ship. Yes. And therefore also the frame of reference of the planet Earth. Right. Somehow they're still in the frame... See, that's the first problem I have is... They're closer to this black hole, and so their reference frame has changed because the gravity of the black hole affects space-time. Yeah. So technically their time is already dilated, and they, they're very good about not giving any specific, specifics there, so you can say, like, oh, their time should be already dilated here. They just assume, like, okay, relativity does not take effect until you're past this certain threshold. Yeah. That's not true. It's a continuum. Yeah, on top of it, the fact that they did put in this relativistic thing that happened, I think it blew a lot of minds of people. Because I was working in a tutorial lab at the time, and yes. people just continued to talk about how amazing this film was for physics, and then they would come in and tell me about the physics. <laughs> but <laughs> tell me about the physics. <laughs> one of the interesting things about it is when you look, when you look at them, like, if you're going to go from a position in a gravitational well. If you're going to go from a position where an hour is going to be seven hours further out of the well... Seven years. Seven years, sorry, yeah. Seven years. One hour to seven years. Then the orbital mechanics to get off of that planet, you're just not going to be able to get out of that well with that amount of fuel that that little ship could have. Maybe. I know. It's... It, it would was, take a lot. <laughs> yeah, so I mean... It was, it was nice that they put in the general relativity thing. Yeah, it was like, you know, it was like a nod to physics, but it's like, yes, you nodded to us, but you either understood, but decided to go with the version that would make it a more interesting film, which is true, it made it more interesting. Yes. Or you just didn't understand, and you tried to nod, but you tipped your head sideways, like the way the Indians do, and we just did not understand you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... The other thing that bothered me about that is I felt... So they say, like, one hour is seven years, right? Mm -hmm. I felt like they maybe spent, maybe with all the cuts and everything and all the chaos that happened, perhaps two hours, like, maximum on that planet, right? Yeah. Because, you know, they got there, they saw everything was broken, and then they were in a hurry to leave, and they were trying to leave. Yeah. Spoilers, by the way. Yeah, sorry. Spoilers. Um, So they were trying to leave, though. They were trying to leave, and then they leave... And they come back, and 23 years have passed. So that means they've spent more than three hours on this planet. Like, that just... There's no continuity there. Yeah. Like, if they're going to give me a number, they should at least make it believable that that much time had passed on the planet so as to make it so 23 years had passed later. Either that, or they shouldn't have given me the number at all. I, I do agree with that. There are some few things, even the fact that the, um, they suspect the original ship came and landed, and they got hit by the first wave which, when they arrived, was on the horizon. However much time had passed, I don't remember exactly, um, between 
when they had sent the ship, when the ship could have arrived, and then when they would have arrived following. So taking into how long that would have taken and how far away, the how far apart the waves were, it is quite possible that they had some incontinuity there. Yeah, because I think what Garrett is referencing, if you don't remember from the film, is that they get there and they have... They go to this planet because apparently the astronaut who was there is still transmitting data, like that the planet is good. But that's just the default status until they find something bad, pretty much. And so, the one of the astronauts says, "Oh, I don't know why they didn't figure this out before, knowing about the relativity." Yeah. But she said, "Oh, she realizes as they're on the planet when it's too late. She must have just landed minutes ago. The first astronaut that was investigating the planet. She must have just landed." minutes ago and just died in this frame of reference. Yes, especially since with the size of those waves and the kind of destruction that they um, dealt, if you if you had landed and you were crushed by the first wave, your wreckage wouldn't spread out very much until the second wave hit. And so they were in between two waves. And it's just... By the frequency of the waves, it seemed like they came way too quickly for it to have been two or three hours between waves. Yeah. And, and they were only hit by two. Yeah. And on top of it, if you have a wave that that big and you're going into land, how did you not see it? <laughs> yes, I think this is the most like logical, like common sense question. Of course we get to this last because we're physicists. How did you not see the wave? And this I mean gravity that strong, tidal forces that strong would probably create tidal forces on the actual crust of the planet, not just the water around it. Like Yeah. I don't know, that planet would have to be made out of titanium or something. Something like that. Well formed titanium. So anyway, that is one part of Interstellar that we just like it was good. It made it a good film. It was yeah. interesting to watch, but the physics just wasn't good. If if anything, I love the soundtrack. Yes. I mean so I'm I used to not really big be, be uh, sorry be a huge fan of the the organ. I mean, at church you sing and somebody's playing the organ and I enjoy singing but you just when they play the organ so loud you just can't enjoy the the words of the hymn. But Hans Zimmer he made me love the organ because his his uh his organ skills were just incredible. And his choice of tempo and intensity, all of it, just fantastic. I don't think most people realize how much the music makes that film such a good film for them. Like, I also love the music. We uh, listen to it as we're doing homework quite often, and it's great. I never get tired of it. I really don't. Um, anyway, so that was the biggest physics thing in Interstellar. Also... I mean, if you're going to talk about the biggest physics thing... Well... No, I'm just kidding. Yes, we're, we're getting there. <laughs> the uh, five-dimensional space in which a three-dimensional being can exist, theoretically possible, but... Uh, I don't even know if I can do this, Gary. There's so many things about that yeah, I whole think scene. We're going to enti entirely gloss over going into a black hole. And instead... We'll talk about other things in Interstellar and then some quirky film things, but... Okay. So, <laughs> I don't know if anyone else noticed when they were watching Interstellar, but when they 
when Michael Caine first shows Matthew McConaughey the um, the rocket that they had, I don't know if anybody else noticed that their entire building was the launch site, and I don't know if anybody's ever seen an actual rocket launch from NASA or something. I haven't personally, but I've seen a few films. You don't want to be anywhere near that. No. <laughs> the amount of power that you have to spit out of that rocket to get into space, <laughs> and it's just so hot. It didn't make sense to me that you would build, you would have your base in the rocket shaft. Yeah, it just, that's, that's another just no. I actually hadn't noticed that. Because I guess I'm so used... Because this has been in other films, right? Like, oh, the rocket is hidden inside our facility. Yeah. Secret rocket. Oh, my goodness. How did you hide a rocket in here? Guess what? You can't hide a rocket in a building. No, you, you can, but you can't launch it. You need to take the rocket out of the building. <laughs> and As also, well, that end needs to be pointing down if you want to go to space. Yes. Relevant XKCD. That'll go in the show notes, right? <laughs> I don't know if there are show notes. <laughs> so... Another thing was that they had the rocket that they were building, but their facility was also a space station that they were trying to do some gravitational thing right. that they were trying to get out. So if you launch a rocket through your space station, I'm pretty sure it's going to wreck it. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so these are some of the things that I've noticed in Interstellar that we haven't talked about yet because we've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. It's funny. Um, I guess just in general, I felt like there was a lot of convenient timing to move the plot forward kind of thing. Like, yeah. this might not necessarily happen, but we can just bend it so that it can happen in this convenient way that makes the plot more interesting. Like, this is what Hollywood does all the time with physics. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you've seen Gravity. I yeah. haven't. But I'm told that there's, like, they're orbiting around the Earth, and there's debris flying around. Yeah, we want to talk about the orbital mechanics with that one. Okay, I'll try, to, I'll try to avoid that. The point is, all the debris should be moving at the same speed as them. Yeah. But I feel like the director just heard, like, oh, yes, there can be debris. And how, how fast can you get something to go around the Earth? Oh, this is the fastest something can go around the Earth? And they don't, like, take into account that it has to be closer in to do that. So this director just hears this, or this script writer, and they're like, Oh, great, this can be a great um, plot point. We can just have this debris flying around, and, like, every 90 minutes it comes around, and it's going to hit them, and it creates this tension. Like, I just feel like they just got super excited about this, and then they just did it, and they didn't realize that it just can't happen. No. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's ever watched any YouTube videos about um, Neil deGrasse Tyson. If you listen to his comments on Gravity and Interstellar, they're two totally different things. <laughs> he loved Interstellar. He was not that, not that, um, Harsh. that, that much behind uh, Gravity. Yeah. He ripped it apart. Well, Gravity kind good of film. deserves that. Dramatic good film. Sandra Bullock's um, acting, like, it takes a really good actor to be the only actor on screen for the entire film. And Sandra Bullock pulled it off. I was impressed. But physics, I'm sorry, they failed. Yes, they totally failed. Almost nothing, as far as I can tell, none of the like, big plot moments, almost none of them either are physically possible. Like, that just isn't what would have happened. Or even logically likely. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, that's, that's a movie. The part of, I feel like this is always what it comes to with physics and movies. 
part of the reason we like movies, especially sci-fi movies, is because they have things that we don't experience daily. Like, that's why we make the movie, because yeah. we want to create a world that's a little bit imaginary, at least. Like, there has to be some element of, okay, well, here's the thing we don't know. So, let's imagine that it did this. This would make an interesting story. Mm-hmm. And, like, I can understand that. This is just, like, I any kind like, of story you want to tell. Like, things like um, the new Star Trek and Star Trek Into Darkness... Those are things that are like, I mean, Star Trek is just classic science fiction, but that you have things that do what you want, even though you don't understand if it's even possible to do with physics, but you just would like to have something like that so you could live in a world that the writers create. Yes, and I feel like a lot of those, especially in Star Trek and other movies, like some of them are clearly not possible, but it's okay with me, and others... We don't know if they're possible. So I'm okay with... I'm really okay with them just being like, well, we don't know if this is possible, so let's assume for the good of the story that it is. Yeah. Great. I'm I'm all for that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I can't... I don't know what you were thinking about for this next thing. Which one? The next thing on the... the Film's not going in interesting directions? Yes. Oh, that was your idea. Was that my idea? Yeah, so what you told me before is that you get you get frustrated when you see this film and it's just... it's building and it's getting better and then it just it just does not go where you thought it would be more interesting to explore uh yes um i think that problem was with interstellar i don't know if it was with interstellar i can't remember but i feel i feel this way about some sci-fi movies like i feel like sometimes the end is still a little bit too predictable like i'm trying to think of a good example of a movie that i feel does this that doesn't go in the direction that i'm most interested in i can't really think of one that doesn't go in the direction yeah. I can tell you one that I think does. That does go in the interesting direction? Mm-hmm. Which is this. It's another Christopher Nolan film with Hans Zimmer at uh, music. That would be uh, Inception. Ah, uh, yes. That one is... That is a really good film. Just saying, like, that one... That one is a film that I'm watching, and I'm watching it develop, and it's just going exactly where you want it to go because it's just getting so intense. There are a couple moments in there where you're like... Wondering why that guy has a driving license and why he's the one driving the van. Because he hits everything, but... <laughs> I mean, when, when like, you really get down to it, <laughs> that film was amazing. <laughs> this is true. Um, Although, no, nothing's coming to mind about films not going to interesting direction. Aside from the general topic of they could have done better, but nothing's coming to mind. I could probably think of a few if I was pressed, but... I kind of want to skip to your paper cut. Yeah? Yes. Okay, so anyone who hasn't listened to Hello Internet, you should listen to Hello Internet. Imagine you have a... Well, sorry, I'm, I'm building up on what paper cut really means here. <laughs> Imagine that you have a guy who grew up in New York State, studied physics, moved to London, England, became a teacher for nine years... And then quit to become a professional YouTube video maker, a YouTuber. Educational videos, mostly. Kind of like explaining corner cases of things videos. But imagine you have this sort of physicist background. And then take an Australian who grew up studying journalism. And he was a journalist for years. And he lives in England and he also quit journalism to be a YouTuber. Of everything. YouTube's <laughs> everything. Number file. Computer file. TV, computer file. Periodic videos. 
he has like 60 channels, Brady Heron. But imagine that you have these two dudes talking. It's just so different to see, like, their backgrounds, and they agree on some things, and they differ. They have differing opinions on others, so it makes for very interesting conversation. Anyway, Brady Heron has paper cuts. He just complains about things. And so the term we permanently borrowed, I suppose, <laughs> from them is that if there's something to complain about on air, it would be called paper cut. Yeah, it's it's usually just like a small thing, kind of like what people would call a first world problem. Yeah, sometimes. But pet peeves might be a better word. But a paper cut, I suppose. Anyway, one of my paper cuts is... I'll start with the grammatical word, uh, grammatical term, unthaw. <laughs> this does not make any sense. It, there, there are a whole string of words that people use that just don't make any sense <laughs> because they misheard the word the first time or something. But unthaw is just ridiculous to me, especially having grown up in Canada where everything is frozen <laughs> all the time. <laughs> just kidding. We have beautiful summers. But... Most of the year it's frozen. If something is frozen and you want it no longer frozen. You thaw it. You thaw it. You don't, or or if it's frozen and you no longer want it frozen, you unfreeze it or something. Unfreeze sounds weird, but you do not unthaw things. That is freezing things. <laughs> yes. Just say freeze. Uh, freeze or thaw. Maybe, maybe the people that use unthaw have just not experience frozen things? <laughs> I think I may have been guilty in my foolish youth of using this word. Yeah. But I, I can't think of the last time I said this. Anyway, the one you're more interested in me talking about is people who have barbecues in the heat. Yeah, I don't understand this because that is when, like, doing the barbecuing in the heat, I can understand being a little bit uncomfortable, but that is when you eat barbecue is when it's warm outside and you can be outside and enjoy the smells and like the smells of the meat and mm -hmm. then the kids can play outside while you eat your hot dog or brat or steak. Yeah, so having grown up in Canada, I understand a lot about how... Uh, this would be the same for anyone who grows up in an extreme climate or lives in an extreme climate. Which is why this doesn't make sense to me, even like in Utah, which I find blistering hot. That your body's ability to regulate its temperature is directly correlated to your diet. You mean like if you eat something hot, your body gets hot? Um, not quite like that. You see, if you eat meat, it's really difficult for your body to digest. Ah, uh, yeah. And so because it's digest, it's because it's working so hard to digest, it creates heat. This chemical reaction to break things down is going to release, it's an exothermic reaction, and you're going to heat up. So if you're eating heavy meats in the middle of summer, you're going to overheat, and you're going to complain that it's too hot outside, or that it's just miserable. Garrett, this is why you go outside and you eat your food, and when digestion sets in, you go inside to the air conditioning. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes this is what we do. Sometimes I forget that there's air conditioning. But see, this doesn't make... <laughs> but then when you transfer in between your two points of air conditioning, you feel too hot. I'm willing to bear that for the few seconds <laughs> that, it, 
<laughs> that it is the case that I'm not in an air-conditioned environment between when I think, oh, I'm hot, and when I enter the house or the building, whatever it is. Like, that's usually 60 seconds tops. <laughs> I can endure that for barbecue meat. <laughs> I can handle this. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so weird to me that, <laughs> that people do that. They even do it in Canada, which is even more baffling. It doesn't get that hot in Canada. Like it where does I'm get... Hot. But it gets up to 85. The hottest days, it'll get up to 90 or 92 or something. I've been in Canada in the summer. Oh, I'm talking about the far north. Oh, I'm sorry. Not the... I was... Not just in Canada. I was in the sissy part of Canada, and it got to 105 in the summer. Well, you were in the Okanagan. I was... Yeah, is that... Is British uh-huh. Columbia in the Okanagan? Uh, the Okanagan is in British Columbia. Okay. It's where they grow all the fruit and... Okay. I was in the Okanagan, yeah, yes. I mean, it's the only place in Canada that you can grow fruit. Because it's not that brutal environment. Ah, so yes, I was I was in Sissy Canada <laughs> for the listeners. <laughs> and if you're from the Okanagan, I did not call it Sissy. I just call it warmer. <laughs> I also apologize to, <laughs> to that one person who, who's from the Okanagan who's listening to this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyway, so the interesting thing to me about this barbecue thing is because in Canada, it gets so cold. If you eat well, your diet makes it a lot easier to tolerate the heat, or I'm sorry, tolerate the cold and the change in temperature. But the same thing is in the summertime. In the summertime, it doesn't get that hot very often. No one has air conditioning in their homes. They might turn their furnace on just the fan. And so oh. it's just blowing air. But just not cooled air. But just not cooled air. air. Yeah, just air. And Moving so, air. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's even more... Like, it's just so baffling for, to, to meet people who just barbecue so frequently in the north when they complain about how hot it is and how difficult it is to, to handle the heat. I mean... I can imagine this would be a big thing without air conditioning. It, it really is. Like, in our current apartment, we don't actually have air conditioning. And yeah, this does not sound pleasant. Like, this is not a pleasant idea in my current apartment to go out and barbecue and then come in and try to cool off and not be able to. The body is designed so well that it has this stomach that works so hard to digest food so close to the, like, your blood pump. Yes. <laughs> the heart. Like, and so you heat up the heart, and the heart pumps the blood to all of your extremities, and it pumps warm blood to your extremities. So if you don't want to be hot, just don't make your stomach work as hard. And meat is not easy to digest. That's why we cook it first. <laughs> so it's a little easier to digest. <laughs> well, that Unless is your... fish. Fish is different. It's true. Fish is So different. if you're going to barbecue fish, that's fine. Fish is different. I'm talking... When I mean like barbecue... You mean like red meat. I mean red meat. Like You mean like sausage. Bovine. <laughs> <laughs> Bovine meat. <laughs> so, what do you like to eat on like a hot summer's day in Canada? Um, if you're going to have like a picnic or like some kind of family eat food outside thing, what do you like to eat? Cold sandwiches. Cold sandwiches. I mean, if there's meat on the sandwich, it's not the same meat because you're not. No, like, it's, it's not a steak. It's like turkey. Yeah. Right. Like turkey chicken. or chicken, something light, even ham. You know, something lighter. I do enjoy a pretty good sandwich. Pickles? I, I like pickles, yeah. What Both kind of kinds pickles? Of I'm, I'm not a huge um, stickler on pickles. Like, give me a dill pickle. It's good. It's quite tasty. 
dill pickle works better in some places than others. Give me a sweet pickle, also works better in some places than others. It depends. A sweet relish, a dill relish. I have a pickle question. Mm-hmm. So I know there are dill pickles and there are sweet pickles. I have had in Texas, I find them harder to find here, bread and butter pickles. Uh-huh. Are those the same thing as sweet pickles? Are they I different? think so. Okay. In Canada, at least growing up, we would either buy dill pickles or we would buy bread and butter pickles. Which, which are sweet pickles. I have figured out now that most people call those sweet pickles. Okay. I can appreciate them both. I do, I think, on a sandwich, like a sweet pickle a little bit more. Yeah. I'm not sure why, but it's good. Well... Yeah, that's you're not a completely foreign human being, then I can understand this paper cut. Oh. Okay. <laughs> All right, I did a random topic pick, so it's, it's your turn. Oh, okay. Let's just talk about this this thing. It's called Vintium. Ah, yes. Vintium. Let me let me describe it. Can't wait. I gotta. I gotta. Yeah, go ahead. I gotta. How should I best put this? It's actually a Vintium. I think I pronounced that right. My Portuguese accent is always a little weird. The Portuguese word for 21, that's what this is. Yeah. Imagine if you took the letters. If someone wrote down in Portuguese 21, you took those letters, you removed the spaces, you crammed it together, and then you brutalized how to say it. You (laughs) call it vintium. (laughs) And that's how it comes out. There we go. (laughs) Anyway, as part of growing up, in uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, in a place where there are so few members of the church. During your, your youth, when you're like 14 to 18, you go to this this class called the seminary, and the term itself is pretty well known, but where you just study scriptures, ancient scripture or modern scripture, but you study the Word of God. And where I grew up, I was blessed to have seminary at 7 o'clock in the morning, Instead I know some five. people. Yeah, some people I know they have it at five o'clock in the morning. Very brave souls. Anyway, mine was at seven, partly because school doesn't start until quarter to nine where I'm from. Oh, a lot of other places it starts a lot earlier, and that's why seminary would be earlier. Called early morning seminary. Anyway, seminary would end at like quarter to eight, and I'd get to school by about eight o'clock, and I would have forty-five minutes of no one at school because nobody wants to get to school forty-five minutes early when you're in high school. But some people do. Baffles me a little bit, but some people do get to school so early. Anyway, we would play card games. We'd use face cards and we'd play games. Things like scum, also known as president or some other terms that I'm not going to say. But we would play games and we played blackjack once. Well, we didn't really play it. We played, you know. A non gambling version. Non gambling version, I should say. To me, it was not exciting that you would. Your ability to add cards to 21 was fully dependent upon the luck of the draw, and it was just so frustrating to me (laughs) that you couldn't, you had no control over this mathematical game because, I mean, you're just adding things. The thing is, it's barely a mathematical game because it's originally intended for gambling. Yeah. That's kind of the point. Anyway, so what I did is I took the deck of cards and I removed the face cards, so I'm left with 40 cards, 8 through 10, and then you shuffle them up. And you take five cards, and then you take these five cards, and you add, subtract, multiply, or divide them to equal 21. So, say for example that you drew five cards, and you had a seven, a three, two fours, and an ace. The ace counts as one or eleven. 
And what you could do is you could take the 7 and multiply it by 3. You have 21. Well, you still have 3 cards left. So maybe take 21 and multiply by the ace because it's 1. So now you still have 21. But you have left with 2 4s. So take 1 4 and either take 4 divided by 4 and get another 1 and multiply it by 1 or 4 minus 4 and get a 0 and go 21 plus 0. You still have the 8. No, I didn't say 8. Oh, sorry. 7, 3, 2 4s. 2 4s on an ace. Ace. So, that's basically the game. You need to use all of the cards, and you need to add, subtract, multiply, and divide them to cause it to equal 21. That turns out to be not super hard with a lot of combinations. Yeah, it's sometimes it's quite trivial, like that one, the one that I came up with because I wanted a trivial explanation. Right. But sometimes it is really non-trivial, or you just don't see it, and it is trivial. <laughs> Well, that's kind of a machine question, isn't it? So that was kind of the inspiration for uh, this, this little project. So we took a class at BYU you know, from the physics department. It's Physics 230, but it, it's a class that is designed to teach you more about this program and programming language called Mathematica. Barely a programming language, more of a program. Very true. Definitely more of a program. But you can write like modules in it. Like, you can make it do functions. We were taking this class together because we usually take all of our classes together. It's just more convenient. And you have to do a final, you have to do a final project. And this project, it's, you work in partners and it's designed, you're supposed to design this project to be eight or nine hours per person. You get two classes to do it, which means you need to spend about two or three hours outside of class working on this project. And you bring it together, you present it to the class, and you get a grade on it. Anyway, earlier in that semester, I was, I, I, I was playing Vintium, which you can play with yourself or other people, but I was playing Vintium with myself, and I got a hand that I couldn't solve. I was so frustrated because I thought there, there, was, there had to be a solution. There just had to be a solution. But I, I couldn't find it. It was very... I just couldn't find it. I don't remember what the hand was. It had, I think, it, a 9, an 8, two threes, and another number... Or two eights and a three. So, no, maybe a nine, three eights and a three. Oh. I think that's what it is. <clears throat> that would be hard, because then you add the eights and you subtract the three, and what do you do with the nine? With the nine, yeah. yeah. It was really frustrating. Actually, if you add the eights and take the nine divided by three, then you also get three. Must not have been that one. Anyway, it was, it was hard. And so I, was, I saw this as an opportunity to create a algorithm to solve any hand. And also to tell us how many different ways you could use those five cards to make 21, 21 with the four operators. Yes. Plus, minus, divide, multiply. So I decided to make it the project. I talked to the professor and I got it okay with him that this could be a project that I could make a game in a Mathematica. So what's supposed to be eight to nine hours of work each, which totals to about 18 hours at most, turned out to be about 65 man hours overall. <laughs> and it's, there are a few reasons for that. One, uh, so Garrett decided, because we had to come up with two distinct parts, right? So Garrett decided, rightly so, that he wanted to do the algorithm to figure out what the solutions were and how many there are to have it like find all the possible solutions, tell you the hands that don't have a solution, like all those interesting things you might want to know about this number theory game. 
and my job was so that that is a big project in itself like that is a lot of thinking to make sure you iterate correctly and don't miss any combinations but you do it in a way that's reasonably fast especially because this program wasn't really built to do that yeah mathematics is not a number cruncher but mathematics did well <laughs> still very impressive it's not really a numerical thing it's more of an analytical program like to analytically solve problems my job was the user interface Mathematica also was not built to have like a user interface for a game. Like, no. it, it's not really built to have complicated buttons, for example, or menus, or it's a scientific those things. It's a program for the scientific community that you can put your data in, you can analyze your data analytically, even, and then present your data in a beautiful way. That's what Mathematica really is like, at the heart of it. What it's designed for is easily and simply analyzing things and presenting them. That package does not include a GUI. <laughs> no, no GUI there. So, I wrote the GUI. And I'm trying to write the GUI to make it idiot-proof and also user-friendly. So, like, if you... I had to think of problems like if you push the button at the wrong time, you could get a different result. Or, like, what if someone tries to cheat? Or the, all of these things, right, that we're trying to figure out. So it turned out to be a lot of hours. <laughs> Many man hours and many tests and revisions and things. The finished product, though, is, is fantastic. My dad, actually, on Wednesday, just, just two days ago, he texted me telling me that he found a hand that had no solution, and he called it. Oh, yes. So we created the option for you to say there's no solution. That button was hard to build. Because imagine if you have a combination of cards, right? So you have five cards in a hand. And it's going to total out to all these combinations with 40 cards. You're going to end up with nearly 100,000 different combinations of cards. That does include things like if you have an ace, two, three, four, and five, or a five, four, three, two, and ace with different suits. But either way, it's 100,000 different hands you could be dealt. And there are only 68 of them that are impossible to solve. They just have no solution. Anyway, my dad... He texted me because he was excited that he found one in only two and a half minutes. Wow. And On he top, called it. And he called it. That's the hard part. So <laughs> part of this game that since it became a computerized, like an algorithm, you could determine the difficulty level of a hand and you would get points based on how difficult the hand was to solve. Basically, if there's not very many ways to make it, make 21, you get more points. Yeah. But we also put a time limit on it that you have two minutes to solve the hand. And then you start... Losing, losing points. points. Yeah. So you start out with 120 points for the full two minutes, and every second you lose a point before you start going negative and losing more points. So the fact that my dad solved it, well, figured out there was no solution in two and a half minutes, I'm guessing he guessed, because there's no way a human could figure out that that did not have every, com like, try no. every combination. He just tried a lot of probable ones, and then he's like, you know what, I don't think this has a solution. I'm going to take the risk. If you guess if you say that it has no solution and you're wrong you lose also quite a few points but if you're right it's jackpot yes it's jackpot you get like i can't remember how many points we made it like 300 or something yeah it's which i think it should be i think it should be higher perhaps yeah um so anyway this that is this little yeah this is that's number what we made. it's uh i don't know it may I think that just reveals how nerdy we are. Yeah, to be fair. 
It was a one. It was a one credit before. class, and <laughs> we spent sixty hours on one project. <laughs> and this is during like a regular semester. This isn't like spring or summer term, which are shorter but like a lot more relaxed. This is like we have other classes and jobs. <laughs> yep. Well, there goes all. All remaining doubt that we were not nerds has left. Mm. There's no doubt left. My turn, right? Sure. I mean, I think we're... Out of things that we decided for a first episode, indexed at zero, the zero is episode. Yeah, that's... Uh, We've, according to what we have in the show notes, it's pretty much all the things. <laughs> it could be all the things. Did you want any... More background. Not important. Sure. But I don't know exactly what. Do you have like a, a query? I'm trying to think of something that, because I know a lot of things about you that the listeners, if don't there know. are any, don't know. <laughs> Why is it that you have a hard time? Because like you've picked a major and you've decided on a major, mm-hmm. but you have a hard time sticking to classes strictly within your major. Oh yes, yes, I do. Do you want to explain this? Um, yeah, there's, it's pretty simple, actually. I want to know everything. <laughs> that's really, that's really what it comes down to. I know, I know I can't. And even thinking about the fact that there's something that I can't do, which is literally impossible. Like, you just can't know everything. <laughs> I just try. <laughs> so this is a, it's kind of a fundamental part of Garrett's personality and that will come through in a lot of things that he says and studies and thinks. He'll think of questions that you won't think of. So I feel like that's important for everyone to understand. He just, he is interested in just about everything. Anything that has any kind of worth, he's interested in it. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why I study physics is because physics is super fascinating and really challenging because I want to know so much I pick one of the more difficult topics of study so that I'm tutored by professors and other people about this difficult topic. And then when I look at other topics that are a lot easier to understand, I don't need to pay thousands of dollars to understand it. (laughs) (laughs) Thousands of dollars in tuition. Yeah. This is funny because I picked physics as a major because of interest and because I had this kind of inexplicable and anyway I don't want to get too personal here but I just felt like it was what I should do I was really fortunate that way I want to say blessed that way because I know a lot of people struggle with figuring out like what am I going to do in college not even like what their job is going to be but what they want to study in general I never had this problem I knew before I ever set for the university what I wanted to study the whole time like I my major has always been declared (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Same. And it's never changed. Never changed. But I had the notion that, like, everything was equally difficult to study. Just being more interested or having a knack for it changed the difficulty for you. So, like, history majors would always tell me, or English majors, that, oh, man, physics sounds so hard. And I would tell them, what you do sounds really hard to me. Like, I would not like it. And I can't pin down what it is that makes this false, but there is a difference with some subjects that makes them, I don't want to say harder. I want to say more, 
they cost you more mental effort. Oh, yeah. Like a certain kind of mental effort. Not because yeah. like writing or other things like that, things that I'm not good at, require creative effort. And it's exhausting sometimes. It's exhausting for me especially. I don't know how exhausting it is for the people who are good at it or have a knack for it, but it's exhausting for me. But physics requires a certain kind of mental effort that it's not like other majors. And there are other majors like it. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not discounting the other sciences. Mathematics is this way. Computer science can be this way. Mm-hmm. Um, engineering can be this way as well. Other sciences besides physics. Mm-hmm. But there is something about it that just makes it or the most common word we have for it is difficult. Yeah. I feel some of it, like this mental effort is, like, so I'm going to compare physics with an introductory psychology course right here. Garrett um, has taken an introductory psychology course, so he's not speaking as an uninformed, completely uninformed person. Like, when I read a physics textbook, I need to reread the physics textbook just to understand it. But when I read a psychology textbook, it's... Just simple. straightforward. It's straightforward. I read it once... It just all sinks into memory. It just... That's how it is to me. It's just... There's no complications in it. When I read a physics textbook, I need to reread it. Like, two paragraphs down, go back a paragraph, and then read two more, and go back, and then read two more. (laughs) I also find this the case. And I think it's because a lot of times in physics textbooks, the concepts are so abstract, especially at the subatomic level or the quantum mechanical level. Mm Mm-hmm. That they're trying to tell you in terms of things that you've experienced, but there's really, like, what you're trying to understand is really like nothing you've ever experienced before, even observationally. Yeah. So that they're just trying to get at this thing that you don't have a concept for yet with concepts that you have, and it's a hard thing to do. Also, I chuckled when you said, just sinks into memory. (laughs) I said that? Yes, as if you were a computer. I just read it and it just sinks into memory. <laughs> oh, sync. No, not sync with a Y. S-I-N-K, not S-Y-N-C. Sorry. Maybe both. That makes a lot more sense for your fleshy data processing system. Yeah. Sinks into the flesh. So, yeah, it's... It's something that I enjoy. Physics. Oh, physics. Well, there's a lot of other interesting things here. I'm tempted to just go to another episode, but we save them for another episode for a reason. There's a, some kind of thematic correlation. So, I mean, if you want to give us feedback, talk to us in person, because you're probably the only people who are going to listen to this. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yes, we don't have a Reddit. We don't have... I don't even have a Twitter account. Don't tweet me. <laughs> Don't tweet Garrett. Don't tweet me. You can't even find me on Twitter, so go ahead and try and tweet me if you like. That might be an interesting topic for later sometime. Like, yeah? why I don't... How I feel about Facebook and why I don't Twitter. Ah, uh, we will put that under the episode of technology. Ah, uh, that's a good one. Uh, social media accounts. Yeah, so... I don't know. So, one of the things I love about Hello Internet is they just end. Were you planning on doing something else? No. 